guys can be seated. It's great to see you. So we are in week four of a series entitled Next Step. And, and if, if anything about our church, if anything that could define our church more than anything, would be that we're a church that is about taking a next step. All about our story, all about where we started has been about this next step. What's that next step we want to take? What's that next step we want to go after? And, and one of the things that we come back to is what is the next step we're facing today? And so we kicked off this series a few weeks ago, and we started with this, this uh, the, the title of the sermon was called Prepare. And what we needed to do is in order to get ready for the next step that God has for us is we need to be in preparation. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our minds. We need to prepare ourselves spiritually for what God has for us. And so we looked at the, the putting on the full armor of God in Ephesians in the last chapter. And we looked at that, dissected it, and said, here's what we need to do in order to prepare for what God has for us. Because here's what I know to be true, that any time we take a next step in our faith journey is that we are going to come under attack. Um, and that it happens. It happened. And, and it's, it comes from all different sides and all different angles, and it comes at us. And so if we're not prepared for, the, for it, uh, then, we, then, then we're in trouble. And so we looked at how to prepare. The second week, we looked at this, uh, the, the concept or the belief that we have that everyone needs to participate in what God's doing. As a body of Christ, we look at ourselves as a body, that everyone has a function, everyone has a role. And so when we all participate in that, then the body functions correctly. And if someone isn't participating in it, then it causes some problems and the body's not functioning the way it should. And so we need to step out in faith and participate in what God's doing in his body. And then last week we looked at this word pursue and how we are going to be a church that pursues God's calling in our lives and calling as a church. And so we looked at the story of Nehemiah and how God stirred in Nehemiah and how he pursued what God had for him. And so today we get to this, uh, this next step that we need to look at when we take a, a next step is this idea of what we believe. I want to share a story with you from God's Word. And it's found in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 to 29 is where this the story that I'll share. It also can be found in Matthew 17, 14 to 21, and Luke 9, 37 to 43. And I love how when authors and, and, and people who write, wrote the Bible, how they, they, they took it from their perspective. Have you ever noticed that? Like if we were to go and observe something, if we were to go and observe a game or football's an amazing sport, right? Okay, now Jason over here is a huge Minnesota fan. Now I'm a Cowboys fan. So if we were to watch a Cowboys and Minnesota game together, there's a chance that he would see things differently than I do. But it's the same game. Like I'm sure he would say, look, pass interference or hold, right? And I'd be like, oh, that's just good football. So all these types of things, we, we just have this different perspective. And so when you read these passages, these stories that are talking about the same thing, just know that that's coming from their perspective. It's not a contradiction. It's just their perspective of what they saw and the, the things that they pull from it, the little things that they grab from it. And so today the story, reads, the story goes like this. Jesus had taken three of his disciples up to a mountain 
And they had an encounter with God. And this is right before we get into the passage we're getting to. But just to give you a little context. And they had this, this encounter with God the Father on this mountain where he, he revealed himself to the Son. And he spoke some very specific things about Jesus. And in this particular encounter, the disciples were able to witness this. And it kind of brought them to this spiritual high. Like they had seen something amazing. Now, I want you to understand that when we walk with Jesus, we are going to have spiritual highs and we're going to have spiritual lows. Have you ever noticed that when we have spiritual highs, like we're gung-ho and we're ready for what God has for us and we feel like we could take it, out, take it all on ourselves? And so that's what these disciples were experiencing. They came off this mountaintop experience and they encountered this, this individual, this son, uh, this man who had a son who was possessed by a demon. And in this particular story, what would happen was this demon would take control of this boy's body and send him into what would be considered an epileptic seizure. He would start violently shaking and he would start foaming at the mouth. And basically what would happen is he'd freak everybody out. Not only that, but whenever there was around a fire or something that could harm this boy, this demon would take control, do this, and throw him into the fire. Now we know that, that, that there, that's just horrible. And so here's this father of this son saying, I need something. I'm at, I don't know what else to do. So he goes to the disciples and he says, can you, can you heal my son? Can you perform a miracle that gets this demon out of my son so that my son will be okay? My son will be healed. And so we're in this particular piece. And then all the religious people are around watching this. And what happens is, is the disciples coming off of a mountaintop experience, I can see it like this. I can see them saying, you know what, man, we were just up on the mountain with God and we saw this amazing thing. We got this. And so they just went full in all on their own power, all this, and they tried to get this demon out of this kid. And what happened was that, that they couldn't. It didn't happen the way they wanted to. And so then now all the religious people around them say, see, look, Jesus isn't real. See, the power you claimed isn't real. And so there became this argument that took place around this story. And so Jesus, like he's known for his perfect timing, he walks up on this situation where they're arguing, and he goes, what are you all arguing about? And so the, and finally, you know, everyone goes quiet. You ever notice when you get caught in something, you're supposed to, like, people go quiet. You ever walk into a room and the room goes quiet? I promise you they're talking about you. And so people, like, they just went quiet. And see, the argument was whether or not Jesus was real, whether you could believe in Jesus, whether what he claimed to be was true. That's where the argument started going. And so there became this, this piece where Jesus walks in, and they all went quiet. And this man who had hit a point of hopelessness, like he didn't know what else to do. Like he tried everything he knew to get help for his son, much like most of us would do for our own children. He goes to Jesus and he, and he doesn't want to hear the arguing. He doesn't want to hear the debating. He doesn't want to hear everyone's opinion. He just wants help for his son. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, look, here's my son. Here's what's going on. He's, he's possessed. He's, someone's it's got, takes control of him, harms him, does all these things to him. I need your help. And Jesus goes, how, and he says this, How long will I have to be with you unbelieving people? 
Like how, how much do I have to do in order for you to grasp who I am and what I'm capable of? And so he gets into this conversation with his dad, and he says, bring your son to me. And so he brings his son to him, and as the son gets closer to Jesus, this, this demon takes over him and, and throws him into this epileptic seizure. And this dad goes, if you can, will you heal him? And Jesus goes, like, you ever want to come back with, like, a smart aleck response? Like, I could just see Jesus saying, if I can, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? Like, if I can? But in his compassion, because he's not like me with the smart aleck response, he goes, it's not a matter if I can. It's a matter whether you believe I can. It's based off of your belief. And the father replies with this, I believe, help me in my unbelief. See, there's always a part of us that we want to believe something greater. We want to believe something about Jesus or something about a higher power. We want to believe, but there's a part of us that goes against it. Like there's a part of us that says, you know what, I'm, I, don't, I, I want to believe, but what, what if I'm wrong? What if things don't go the way I want? What if things don't happen the way I want? But I, I want to believe, but what if they don't work out the way I want them to? And so it, it keeps us from truly believing. It keeps us from truly taking that next step. It truly t- keeps us from putting our faith in Jesus and believing who he is. And so there's this, this inner conflict, this inner struggle that's going on, and we see it in the story of this man. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So Jesus takes the boy. And like Jesus always does, he helps us in our moments of unbelief. And he shows his power. And immediately the demon leaves the boy. And what happens is is the boy goes through this convulsion and he's laying on the ground. And it leaves. And and the boy's laying there and, and everyone's like, he's dead. Like they were like, he's dead. Something's wrong. Like Jesus killed him. He didn't do anything. He's dead. And Jesus reaches down and he grabs the boy's hand and he picks him up. And the boy walks off with his dad. And not only that, but Jesus told the demon, says, don't you ever come back. You're not welcome in here anymore. Set the boy free. Set that family free. Of what was keeping them constrained, of what was worrying them, what was bringing them to the point of being hopeless. So after this happens, Jesus takes, the, they go into the, the house and, and Jesus with his disciples and the disciples like, they're like, what just happened, Jesus? Why, why, why couldn't we do that? Why, what, what, we were just doing it weeks ago. Why couldn't we do it now? And Jesus said, these are the kind that can only come out through prayer. And so the story goes like this, that there's a part of us that we want to believe that Jesus wants to do something amazing in our lives. There's a part of us that wants to believe that Jesus really wants to do what he says he's going to do. And there's this other part of us that says, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't set me free? Because we live in in a world more so where we're pessimistic than when we're optimistic. We would rather go to the negative than the positive. We would rather sit in our unbelief. Do you know that sitting in our unbelief sometimes is more comfortable? You know why? Because we don't get let down when things don't go the way we want them to go. And here's his son, his dad, who wanted to be set free. And here's Jesus says, I'm going to help you 
and your unbelief. Just put your belief in me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you that you're a God that is faithful and that we can believe. And Lord, as we open this passage up and as we look at this story, this this encounter that this father, son, and disciples had with you, Lord, I pray that our belief in you would grow exponentially. That our, our belief would outweigh our unbelief. And that we would see you do amazing things in our lives. So Lord, speak to us. Help us to take that next step. Believing you for who you are. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's define uh, believe. When we look in, in scriptures and we go back to the original context and the original word of what this believe means is this. Let's define it. It means this, to trust in Jesus or God as able, as able to aid either in obtaining or in doing something. It is trusting in Jesus or God as able to aid either in obtaining or in doing something. It's this trust piece. It's, it's saying this, I trust you. In other words, I'm putting everything, all my eggs into this basket. God, I'm trusting you, whether it works out for me or not. And I'm going to believe that you're going to work it out the way that you want to work it out. And so unbelief is this. Because Jesus hits on both of this. He talks about needing to believe. In other words, we need to trust Jesus. The unbelief is defined as this. When we go back to the original language, it means this, a weakness of faith. Anybody ever have a weakness of faith? Yeah, me too. Me too. Especially when, especially when I'm about ready to take that next step. There's this, this, this weakness of faith that comes on and says, what if I get it wrong? What if it doesn't come through the way that I want it to? What if, what if something doesn't go the way that I, I would like it to? And so then, so then what I do is, in my weakness, I pull back. And yet then I'm reminded of Jesus and what he says is, believe in me. Trust me. And take it. And what I, found, what I fi- have found over the years is this, is that when I truly believe in him, that even in the midst of my weakness of faith, even in the midst of my weakness, that there's this peace that comes over me as I take that next step, that he strengthens me and he meets me. And my belief in him grows exponentially every step I take. See, a couple of things we need to realize is this, is what I choose to believe at any given moment will determine my next step. And what I mean by that is this. If I choose to uh, dwell in my weakness of faith, then I will refrain from taking that next step. But if I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus can do what he says he can do and that Jesus is the author and perfecter of my faith and that Jesus has a calling on my life and that Jesus has a plan for my life. If I believe that and that Jesus is going to work all things for the good of him who loves me, if I believe this, then then here's what happens. What I choose to believe at that exact moment will determine whether I take that next step. But yet if I choose to live in unbelief, I will never take a next step. I'll never go to that individual who I'm at odds with because of fear. 
I'll never reconcile a relationship that needs to be reconciled because I live in unbelief, rather than believing God for what he can do. I'll never, I'll never live the life that God has for me and do the things that God has called me to because I, I live in unbelief rather than choosing to believe what Jesus has called me to. So what I choose to believe, what I choose to believe will determine my next step. So what will I choose to believe? What will I choose to believe when life doesn't go the way I want? What will I choose to believe when life doesn't go the way I want? Anybody ever have something happen they didn't like to happen? Like, you know how we, when we're, when we're doing life and we're sitting there and um, we have it all projected on how things are going to work out. Like, let's take a good situation because we can all do bad situations. Let's take like a good thing, right? When we, we project on how awesome something's going to be. Like we're getting geared for vacation and we're going to go on vacation, and the vacation's going to be awesome. And then when we get there, it rains for every day, and we're what? Thank you. And we're angry. Life doesn't go the way that I want. Better yet, some of us here, here's another thing. So let's take vacation off the table, and let's just look at sometimes some of the encounters we have with people. Sometimes we sit in a service like this, and you hear me talk about the need to reconcile and the need to make relationships correct. And so this has happened to some people that that I get to talk to, especially in the counseling world here. I I give counsel to husbands or to wives to say, hey, here's how this needs to happen. And so one of them decides, you know what, Chad, I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to go have a conversation with my wife, and I'm going to do it in love, or I'm going to go have a conversation with my husband, and I'm going to do it in love, and I'm going to do this. And then, then they go, and they step out, they take that next step, and they go and have that conversation, and then what happens? What? They argue. Things blow up. And they went with it in the right attitude, in the right heart, and they wanted, and it didn't go the way they want. So then they come back to me and they say, what? Chad, you're full of appropriate word. Thank you. (laughs) And so this is what we do to God. This is what, when things don't go the way we want, and they don't, because we've got it projected in our mind, and see what we fail to realize is it's not about the outcome. It's not about that. What God's doing is in our heart, and He's changing our heart for something. That's the peace that He wants. See, we're so externally focused that if we don't see external results, and we don't see like the, 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 the profit or, or whatever it is that we want to see, then apparently God's not working. But the reality of it is, is if God's working in here, and He's changing your heart, And he's stirring in your heart to do what's right and to honor him and to bring him glory. Guess what? God's at work and he's doing something amazing. That's what he cares about. And so we need to believe that what he wants to do, even when things don't go the way we want, it happened to the disciples. And I'm going to pick up in verse 17, David. It reads this. And this is after they tried. Uh, to heal the boy or to, to cast out the demon. And there was an arguing going on, and, and, it, and it comes up to this. And Jesus just asked, what are you arguing about? And in 17, it says this, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, 
and they were not able. Two things that happened in this, this particular piece. The disciples didn't get what they wanted. And this dad who wanted his boy healed, set free, didn't get what they wanted. You see, I believe the story is more about what God did in this man's heart than it was about anything. It was more about what he did in the disciples' hearts than it was about this boy being set free. See, we want to see the external. What happens when we start looking at the internal and what God's doing there first? I've learned that if I focus on the internal, then the external eventually happens. What comes out of me is something amazing. If I focus on the external, then I can put on a big show and make things seem good. But behind closed doors, I'm a miserable wreck. So he goes on, and so this is, so when life doesn't go the way we want, what will I choose to believe? James 1, 2, and 3 reads this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now go back to that, for that other verse for me, David. Thank you. Count it all joy. Does anybody else find this the hardest verse to live by? Thank you. Because when things are not going the way that we want them to go, and we're underneath attack, do we want to be joyful? Thank you. No. Yet Scripture says this. Count it all joy. Why? Because God wants to do an internal work. God's bringing us to this point where we can believe Him in those times when we don't want to. So what I choose to believe, what will I choose to believe when life doesn't go the way I want? The second thing is this, what will I choose to believe when Jesus wants to set me free? Do you realize that Jesus wants to set us free from something? He wants to see us thrive in life. He wants to take us out of out of that, that internal struggle. He wants to take us out of that sin. He wants to set us free in life. And so what I choose to believe when, when Jesus wants to set me free can determine whether or not I am actually living free. Notice I didn't say determine whether I am free. It determines whether I will choose to live free. There's a difference there. Are you catching that? Jesus already set me free. It's a matter of whether I want to live free or not. Because so many of us choose to live in bondage and to live in the crud we once lived in. When Jesus has already said, I set you free, why are you doing it? Why are you stuck? And we see it in this passage in verse 19. Uh, David, follow, follow along with me. It says this, and he answered them. This is Jesus. He answered them, O faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus is saying, man, how long are you not going to believe in my power? How long are you going to question what I'm capable of? How long are you going to question everything that comes along rather than simply believe in me and take a next step? How long are you going to sit back and be confined? Yet Jesus is wanting the people to see who he is. Why? Because he came to set them free. He goes on in 22 and it says this. And it has often, and so this dad comes back and says this about his son. 
And it has often cast them into fire and into water to what? A little louder. I need y'all's help. To do what? Thank you. Do you know that the evil one wants to destroy you? Plain and simple. He wants to destroy anything that belongs to the Father. Take them out. Anytime we get ready to take a next step, he wants to cause dissension. He wants to go at things. He wants to do what he wants to do to make sure that things don't happen the way that God wants them to happen. And so he goes into this piece and he says this, And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, I love this, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You ever get to that point of hopelessness to where you're like, God, if, if you can do anything, do something. Like, show up. Like, like you, you got to do something if you can. If you can. Like, we question his power. And it's not a matter of whether he can. It's a matter of whether it's in his will or not. See, so many times we put whether he can and his will into the same compartment. And there's two separate compartments. His power is unlimited. There's nothing that can hold him back. His will is something totally different. Don't put them together. And this father was putting them together. And it says this, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus replies this, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. So what do we do? What choice do we make? What do we choose to believe when Jesus wants to set us free? There will be always be an internal struggle where I want to believe, but I'm afraid. And that afraid, that weakness of faith will keep us from taking that next step and living in the freedom that God has for us. Galatians 5 once says this, and this is a promise you can stand on, and this is a promise you can write out and remember. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of... So why do we stay stuck when he set us free? What will I choose to believe when Jesus wants to set me free? The next one is this. What will I choose to believe when my perspective is wrong? Anybody ever been wrong about something? Now, anybody you're sitting next to ever been wrong about something? Some of us believe that we have never been wrong about something and that our perspective is, is always right. And what, I, what I'm learning is this, is that when we're so convicted about our own perspective, everyone else is wrong and that what they have to see doesn't matter. And it's, a quite, it's quite interesting to watch. Now, in this particular passage, this is where the, Jesus has released this boy. And so this boy is looking dead, and everyone's perspective is, he's dead, he's worthless. Jesus, you killed him. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. That's the, the perspective going on, right? You ever notice how sometimes our perspective so jacked up in something, it totally ruins everything? Sometimes maybe we need to hold back on our perspective. 
sometimes maybe we need to wait to see what Jesus does and shows up to do before we determine our perspective. Maybe our perspective just needs to be, you know what, no matter what happens, Jesus, I believe that you have my best interest in heart. And I'm going to choose to trust you. And he says this. In 26, it says, And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that the, most of them said, He is. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Sometimes what I believe in my perspective shouldn't add up. What I choose to believe when my perspective is wrong will determine a lot of times how I see a particular situation. Maybe I need to be praying for God's perspective on so many things in life and all things in life. In Romans 12, 2, it says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know that our perspective starts in our mind. The way we see things starts with our thoughts. The way we see things starts here. And so scripture tells us very clearly that there's a renewal process that needs to happen in order for us to get the God perspective we need. And so what do I choose to believe when my perspective is wrong? Do I choose to believe my perspective or do I choose to believe in Jesus and trust him? Do I choose to believe that my will is best for my life? Like Romans says, or, do, or like Romans says, do I choose to believe that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect? That things don't always go the way I want, but it's what He wants and how He changes my mind and how He changes the way I see things. What I choose to believe when my perspective is wrong. Either I choose to believe that God is who He is, or I live in my weakness of faith and I stay stuck. And I stay negative. And I tear apart everybody around me because I want to live in unbelief rather than trusting God for who He is. Lastly, it's this. What about what I believe about God will determine my next step. What I believe about God will determine my next step. Verses 28 and 29 of the passage read this. And when He had entered the house, His disciples asked Him privately, you ever notice, this is interesting, you ever notice that when we mess up, we don't like want to bring it out and be vulnerable in front of people? Like when we, when we, when we mess something up, we like we want to keep it hidden because we don't want anybody else to know that we made a mistake. So what, what the disciples did is pretty interesting if you didn't catch it. They waited till they were in private to ask Jesus. Rather than in front of people to get it out so that other people could learn, they kept it in private because they didn't want it. They didn't want people to look at them poorly. They didn't want people to think of them less. And so they waited till they were in private to ask this question. Why, why, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we do it, Jesus? Well, like you told us a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago that we could do this and we had power to do it. And we actually went out and did it. Why couldn't we do it this time? We just came off the mountaintop experience seeing some amazing things. Why couldn't we do this? And here's what Jesus replies in 29. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now let's unpack that a little bit. What is prayer? Prayer is a communication between us and God. 
a conversation between us and the Father. It's where we go to Him and we surrender our, our wants, our desires, our will to the Father. In exchange, we receive and, and trust that His will is ultimately what is best for us. If you don't believe me, look at, go look at the passage. and It's in Matthew 17. Um, nope, excuse me. Matthew 26, 39 and 42. And you can write that off to the side and go look at it later, and I'll give you the gist of it. Jesus was about ready to go to the garden, or go to the cross, excuse me. He was in the garden. He was about ready to go to the cross. And so he's in the garden, and he starts praying. And he's sitting there, and he's praying, and he's pouring out his heart. And one of the things in the garden before he went to the cross and to give his life for us to say, you know what, I, I, I'm giving my life here, but there's a piece of me, there's this piece of me that I don't want to do it. If you could take this from me, God, I would be grateful. Like, if you could take this from me, that would be awesome. And yet he comes to this point in a conversation with God that says, not my will, but yours be done. He not only did it once, he did it twice. And he came back to this point, this prayer piece, where he surrendered his will and his desire, his want, to say, you know what? It's not about what I want, God. It's about your will for my life. And I honestly believe this, is that what I believe about God will determine my next step. It's that in my prayer life, in my, when I go to talk to God and I say, I have this desire in my heart, God, and I have this, what I want in my life, but there's something about your will that's got to be enough for me. And that's what Jesus did. It's not about what I want. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my personal, personal desire of wanting to get out of this. But it's about what you want for my life. And you sent me here, your will was to send me here to give my life so that others can have freedom. And he surrendered it to him. The disciples. When Jesus said this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. He's telling the disciples, stop depending on your strength and depend on mine. Surrender what you think you can do to what I can do and watch what happens. So many times by what I choose to believe, what I choose to believe about God will determine my next step. What I choose to believe about my capabilities and saying, you know what, God, I got this. Don't worry about it. Whenever I do that, something goes wrong. But if I come to the Father in prayer and I submit and surrender my will of what I want to Him, His will starts getting lived out in my life and it works out so much better than I thought it could. But it starts with my belief in who He is. Because when I believe Him to be the God that is trustworthy, when I choose to believe that He's the God that is faithful, when I choose to believe that he's the God that sets me free, when I choose to believe that the promises he made all throughout Scripture are true and they apply to my life, when I choose to believe that he is God and there is none like him, and everything he says and everything he's done applies to my life, when I believe him for who he is, 
it will determine my next step in living for him. And the minute I choose to not believe and live in a, in a moment of weakness of faith, I will stay stuck and miserable and not knowing what to do next. And as a church, we get to choose what we believe. Do we believe that God has a plan for our church? Thank you, Jocelyn. Do we believe that God has something amazing in store for us? Absolutely. Will we come to those moments where we are questioning? Yep. Will we come to those moments when we doubt? Oh, yeah. But that's why we're together. That's why we have each other. That's why we walk with one another. We encourage one another. We uplift one another. And when my faith is weak, those of you that are strong will walk with me and help me take that next step. And when your faith is weak, I'll be there to step with you. Our belief in who God is and what he can do will change what we do as a church. It will change what we do in our community. And it will change what we do in our homes. What will we choose to believe? Matthew 13, 58 says this. <clears throat> and this was Jesus when he was in his hometown. And he says this. And, he did, and the Bible says this. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their, because our unbelief will keep us stuck. See, I believe God has a next step for us that he's preparing us for. Last week, we, um, we uh, gave you one of these things on the way out. And if you weren't here last week, feel free. The elders will be back there to pass this out again this week. One of our next, just one of our next, not the one of the next. I want to be clear on this. One of our next steps is, is pro- starting to save for our future home. I did two little things this week where you could come and talk to me and share coffee with me and uh, eat some cookies with me. By the way, the cookies were amazing. Um, the coffee was great. So we missed you. But if you, if you didn't get one of those, you want to meet with me, shoot me an email, call me. We could set up a time to talk. But I asked you guys to take one of these home and pray about how you can give towards our next step. And here's how I put it in this time together. You know when you first got married, or if you're married, or maybe not, or when you first started, got out on your own, um, one of the things you had to do is you probably went into an apartment or a rental home, and you were renting space. And so one of the things while you're in that thing, you're like, dude, I don't want to be here forever. I want to go and get a place of my own. And so during that time, you start to do what? Save. And so when that time comes to be able to take that next step and to go get a place of your own, you have what? Money to do that. And you're not scrambling and trying to figure out how to finance it. You're not, so it, it provides for the future. So this is the way I see it as our church. God has a place for us. Oh, and by the way, when you're living in the apartment, you may have an idea, or in that rental place, you may have an idea of what kind of home you want, you know, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, one bath, half a bath, whatever it is. You may have an idea, but you don't know the specifics of it. You don't know, like, okay, I hope it's in this community, or, you know, this is where I'd like, but you don't know all the details. And that's okay, 
You just know that you need to save for what God has for you. So that's what we're doing. We are starting to save for what God has for us. And we're going to take a next step of faith together in this. And I'm praying that God stirs in my heart and our heart as a church on what we can give above and beyond to this. So I, I say this again. If you didn't get one of these, take one. Pray over it. And here's, my, here's, here's what I promise you. If you take this home and you pray over it and you say, Chad, you don't have to tell me. You, but in your heart, you're like, God didn't stir to give towards this. I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. Because that's between you and God. But if God stirs in your heart and he says, you know what, I want you to give towards this above and beyond your tithe. Then what we're going to do next week, at the end of the service next week, is we're going to have a time of commitment. Where we as a church body come together and take a next step of commitment. And saying, here's what God stirred in my heart to give. And that's what we're doing. So you'll get one of these at the end. Lastly, and this is most important. When it comes down to it, my bigger concern is our heart. My bigger concern is what Jesus is doing in our lives. This is awesome and I'm on board and ready for it. But I care more about what God's doing in your heart. I care more about you walking out your faith journey than anything. And so my prayer over us as a church is that we would choose to believe God for who he is in our own lives. And that we would step out of our weakness of faith into trusting him in every step of the way and watching what he does. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we ask in all things, Lord, that you would move. Lord, in those moments where we struggle between believing and and unbelief and, and believing and not believing, Lord, we know that you will show up. We know that you are who you say you are, and we can choose to believe you. And Lord, if today there's someone in here that's that's struggling with their faith journey, that's struggling with that next step, that's struggling whether to, to commit their lives to you, I pray today that they would realize that you you sent your son Jesus to this earth to give his life for us. So that the moment we believe and put our trust in him, we are saved. We are set free. And I pray if there's one here that needs to take that step, that they would. Lord, that they would have boldness to come and share it with us and and let us know about it. Lord, help us in our unbelief to be a church body, to be individuals, to be a family that believes you, the God that loves us, the God that's faithful. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple ways for us to respond. The communion tables are open. And feel free to go over and take communion uh, to remember what Jesus did for you on the cross, his body that was given and his blood that was shed that provides a relationship with him. The offering baskets are in the back. If, if God has led you to give um, um, today, uh, you have an opportunity to give back a portion of what he's given to you. Um, but lastly, let's stand and sing. Um, and so please stand and sing. And then also, if you need prayer, uh, Rob will be over here to pray with you. Um, so if that's what you need, come over and get prayed over. Let us respond how God leads us.